0: chapter thirty five of the mayor of casterbridge this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the mayor of casterbridge by thomas hardy chapter thirty five as donald stated lucetta had retired early to her room because of fatigue she had however not gone to rest but sat in the bedside chair reading and thinking over the events of the day. At the ringing of the doorbell by Henshard, she wondered who it should be that would call us at that comparatively late hour. The dining room was almost under her bedroom. She could hear that somebody was admitted there, and presently the indistinct murmur of a person reading became audible. The usual time for Donald's arrival upstairs came and passed, yet still the reading and conversation went on. This was very singular. She could think of nothing but that some extraordinary crime had been committed, and that the visitor, whoever he might be, was reading an account of it from a special edition of the Casterbridge Chronicle. At last she left the room and descended the stairs. The dining-room door was ajar, and in the silence of the resting household, the voice and the words were recognizable before she reached the lower flight. She stood transfixed. Her own words greeted her, in Enchard's voice— like spirits from the grave. Lucetta leaned upon the banister with her cheek against the smooth handrail, as if she would make a friend of it in her misery. Rigid in this position, more and more words fell successively upon her ear. But what amazed her most was the tone of her husband. He spoke merely in the accents of a man who made a present of his time. One word, he was saying, as the crackling of paper denoted that Henchard was unfolding yet another sheet, "'Is it quite fair to this young woman's memory "'to read at such lengths to a stranger "'what was intended for your eye alone?' "'Well, yes,' said Henchard. "'By not giving her name, "'I make it an example of all womankind, "'and not a scandal to one.' "'If I were you, I would destroy them,' said Farfrae, "'giving more thought to the letters than he had hitherto done. "'As another man's wife, it would injure the woman if it were known.' "'No, I shall not destroy them,' murmured Henchard, "'putting the letters away.' Then he arose, and Lucetta heard no more. She went back to her bedroom in a semi-paralyzed state. For very fear, she could not undress, but sat on the edge of the bed, waiting. Would Henchard let out the secret in his parting words? Her suspense was terrible. Had she confessed all to Donald and their early acquaintance, he might possibly have got over it, and married her just the same, unlikely as it had once seemed. But for her or anyone else to tell him now would be fatal. The door slammed. She could hear her husband bolting it. After looking round, in his customary way, he came leisurely up the stairs. The spark in her eyes well nigh went out when he appeared round the bedroom door. Her gaze hung doubtful for a moment. Then, to her joyous amazement, she saw that he looked at her with the rallying smile of one who had just been relieved of a scene that was irksome. She could hold out no longer and sobbed hysterically. When he had restored her, Farfrae naturally enough spoke of Henchard. "'Of all men he was the least desirable as a visitor,' he said. "'But it is my belief that he's just a bit crazed. "'He has been reading to me a long lot of letters relating to his past life, "'and I could do no less than indulge him by listening.' This was sufficient. Henchard then had not told. Henchard's last words to Farfrae, in short, as he stood on the doorstep, had been these— "'Well, I'm obliged to we for listening. "'I may tell more about her some day.' Finding this, she was much perplexed as to Henchard's motives in opening the matter at all, for in such cases we attribute to an enemy a power of consistent action which we never find in ourselves or in our friends, and forget that abortive efforts from want of heart are as possible to revenge as to generosity. Next morning, Lucetta remained in bed, meditating how to parry this incipient attack, The bold stroke of telling Donald the truth, dimly conceived, was yet too bold, for she dreaded lest, in doing so, he, like the rest of the world, should believe that the episode was rather her fault than her misfortune. She decided to employ persuasion, not with Donald, but with the enemy himself. It seemed the only practicable weapon left her as a woman. Having laid her plan, she rose and wrote to him, who kept her on these tenterhooks. I overheard your interview with my husband last night, and saw the drift of your revenge. The very thought of it crushes me. Have pity on a distressed woman. If you could see me, you would relent. You do not know how anxiety has told upon me lately. I will be at the ring at the time you leave work, just before the sun goes down. Please come that way. I cannot rest till I have seen you face to face, and heard from your mouth that you will carry this horseplay no further.' To herself, she said, on closing up her appeal, if ever tears and pleadings have served the weak to fight the strong, let them do so now. With this view, she made a toilette which differed from all she had ever attempted before. To heighten her natural attraction had hitherto been the unvarying endeavour of her adult life, and one in which she was no novice. But now she neglected this, and even proceeded to impair the natural presentation. Beyond a natural reason for her slightly drawn look, she had not slept all the previous night, and this had produced, upon her pretty though slightly worn features, the aspect of a countenance aging prematurely from extreme sorrow. She selected, as much from want of spirit as design, her poorest, plainest, and longest discarded attire. To avoid the contingency of being recognized, she veiled herself, and slipped out of the house quickly— The sun was resting on the hill like a drop of blood on an eyelid by the time she had got up the road opposite the amphitheatre, which she speedily entered. The interior was shadowy and emphatic of the absence of every living thing. She was not disappointed in the fearful hope with which she awaited him. Henchard came over the top, descended, and Lucetta waited breathlessly. But having reached the arena, she saw a change in his bearing. He stood still at a little distance from her. She could not think why. Nor could anyone else have known. The truth was that in appointing this spot and this hour for the rendezvous, Lucetta had unwittingly backed up her entreaty by the strongest argument she could have used outside words, with this man of moods, glooms, and superstitions. Her figure in the midst of the huge enclosure, the unusual plainness of her dress, her attitude of hope and appeal— So strongly revived in his soul the memory of another ill-used woman who had stood there and thus in bygone days, and had now passed away into her rest, that he was unmanned, and his heart smote him for having attempted reprisals on one of a sex so weak. When he approached her, and before she had spoken a word, her point was half gained. His manner as he had come down had been one of cynical carelessness. But he now put away his grim half-smile, and said, in a kindly subdued tone, "'Good night, Key. "'Of course I am glad to come, if you want me.' "'Oh, thank you,' she said apprehensively. "'I am sorry to see you looking so ill,' he stammered, with unconcealed compunction. She shook her head. "'How can you be sorry?' she asked, "'when you deliberately cause it.' "'What?' said Henchard uneasily. "'Is it anything I have done that has pulled you down like that?' "'It is all your doing,' she said. "'I have no other grief. "'My happiness would be secure enough but for your threats. "'Oh, Michael, don't wreck me like this. "'You might think that you have done enough. "'When I came here I was a young woman. "'Now I am rapidly becoming an old one. "'Neither my husband nor any other man "'will regard me with interest long.' Henchard was disarmed. "'His old feeling of supercilious pity "'for womankind in general "'was intensified by this suppliant appearing here.' "'as the double of the first. "'Moreover, that thoughtless want of foresight, "'which had led to all her trouble, "'remained with poor Lucetta still. "'She had come to meet him here in this compromising way, "'without perceiving the risk. "'Such a woman was very small, dear to hunt. "'He felt ashamed, lost all zest and desire "'to humiliate Lucetta there and then, "'and no longer envied far for his bargain. "'He had married money, but nothing more. "'Henchard was anxious to wash his hands of the game.' "'Well, what do you want me to do?' he said gently. "'I am sure I shall be very willing. "'My reading of those letters was only a sort of practical joke, "'and I revealed nothing. "'To give me back the letters and any papers you may have "'that breathe of matrimony or worth—' "'So be it. Every scrap shall be yours. "'But between you and me, Lucetta, "'he is sure to find out something of the matter sooner or later.' "'Ah,' she said with eager tremulousness, but not till I have proved myself a faithful and deserving wife to him, and then he may forgive me everything. Henchard silently looked at her. He almost envied Farfrae such love as that, even now. "'Hm, I hope so,' he said. "'But you shall have the letters without fail, and your secret shall be kept, I swear it. "'How good you are! How shall I get them?' He reflected, and said he would send them the next morning. Now don't doubt me, he added, I can keep my word. Chapter thirty five